We're going to read verses 20 through 29 responsively. So we'll begin together. I'll read every other verse uh, alone. Uh, and we'll finish together. And just a great account of Scripture. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 20 through 29, the Word of God says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Uh, The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And together, the people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great account in Scripture. So many truths here we could pull out. But help us to take hold of the truth before us today, this this one a critical truth, foundational to how you work in our lives. It's how we get saved. It's how we reach our potential. It's how we live and we grow. And I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice today uh, would be blessed that you would speak to them. And Father, give me only the words that you would have for this moment. And may these minutes that we spend around your word matter forever, as I know that they will. Uh, may they change us forever. And help us to change many others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What an amazing portion of Scripture. Uh, John chapter 12 is is just a, a wonderful portion. If you remember John chapter 11, Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. He had died and had uh, raised uh, the dead. John chapter 12, we see the triumphal entry of Jesus. This is the pinnacle of the fame of Jesus. Remember that Jesus was famous. If he uh, had been alive when there were newspapers, he would have been on the front page of every newspaper every day. He would have been on uh, the hourly news. Breaking news, Jesus heals. Breaking news, Jesus preaches. I mean, it would have been just the biggest thing going on in the world. His fame was increasing and increasing. And here... As the Messiah, he rides into chapter 12, he rides into Jerusalem, and they, of course, throw the palm leaves down and are waving the palm leaves, and Hosanna to the king. They wanted him to be the king of the Jews, and of course we know he is. But there was an important thing they didn't know. Jesus had to die first. 
They wanted him to take the throne right now. Matter of fact, at one point, they were going to take him by force and make him become their king. And supernaturally, he, the Lord veiled their eyes and he walked out of the, that crowd uh, because it wasn't time for that yet. Now, we know that Jesus is the Messiah. We know that there is coming a day, the millennial reign of Christ, when Jesus will come back and reign, rule and reign from Jerusalem during that wonderful thousand-year period. But what, what they couldn't see in the Old Testament was you know, those mountain peaks of prophecy. They could see a Messiah coming. They could see him reigning. But between those mountains, there was the dip of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There was the, the dip of the church age and, and those things. And so they had a, a partial picture. Now, if they had fully understood chapters like Isaiah 53, that's the John chapter 3 of the Old Testament, where uh, could a clearer picture be written of the the savior who would suffer and die than isaiah 53 and the answer is no i mean what a clear portion of scripture and by the way it's a great scripture when you're talking to jews uh, to try to lead them to the lord if you remember the ethiopian eunuch he was traveling along and that's the passage that he was reading whenever philip came to him the lord led philip to him and he said who is this about this is an important moment who's this about he preached jesus unto him and so they had the truth they just didn't recognize it it was a mystery to them and so jesus here at the height of his uh, uh, earthly fame then some greeks came to him as we read certain greeks they were probably well known perhaps wealthy they they wanted access to jesus and everyone wanted to see Jesus, by the way. If you remember Herod and Pilate, they were all interested in meeting him because they had heard such amazing things. Uh, he was absolutely famous. So these Greeks came, and they wanted to worship at the feast. They wanted to see Jesus. So uh, Philip went and tells Andrew. Andrew and Philip both come to Jesus. Jesus, there's these Greeks, certain Greeks, and they want to see you. They want to spend time with you. What should we tell him? Now, Jesus was really good about providing access to himself. I mean, oftentimes he would even say, suffer the little children to come unto me. But in this instance, he didn't see them. And he said, I want you to tell them a message from me, and I'm going to use this as a teaching moment for everybody listening. Crowds are there, people cheering. Jesus, you're the most famous man on earth. I've got a message for you. And that message we find in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground, and what? Die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So here he is at this pinnacle moment, and he says, let me talk to you about death. I mean, it just doesn't seem to fit, does it? Fit in this celebration. Let me talk to you about death. And he uses the the idea of this corn of wheat if you take a seed and that seed you plant it in the ground it actually has to begin to decompose so the the outward film of that seed can break so that the 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 plant inside can grow up it has to begin to decompose it has to die so that it can live and then we see in verse 25 the famous verse he that loveth his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Jesus takes this moment of celebration, and Jesus was saying, I am famous now, but I must die, and all this fame with me, in order to give you life. 
And if you want to give life to others and you want to reach your potential, you have to die. And Jesus says even a seed has to die to become useful. Here's the truth for today. The death, burial, and resurrection is not only our mode of salvation, but it's also a formula for life. When you you look at life, you begin to see the process of death, burial, and resurrection is foundational to the life we live. You see it in creation, you see it in nature, you see it play out over and over in our lives as long as we live here. If you don't understand this truth, you're going to fight discouragement and doubt your entire life. Countless people have lost the best things in life because they didn't trust God when it seemed that their dreams were dying. They panicked when things weren't working out the way they thought they would. God gave them a dream. God gave them an idea. God God gave them a vision. He gave them a gift. And they thought, boy, this is all set. This is going to be awesome. But then it doesn't happen or it didn't go the way it should or perhaps it even dies. I want to encourage you today to keep trusting God when things aren't going the way you'd hoped or planned or envisioned. Because this is a guiding truth in our lives. I want to preach a simple message this morning about the gospel blueprint for life. The gospel blueprint, the death, burial, and resurrection is the blueprint by which God does great things. And I want to show you this in the scripture, we'll come back to the, the corn of wheat and this idea. First of all, we see this in the gospel. The very way we're saved is by the death, burial, and resurrection. So look at 1 John chapter 15. You say, preacher, what is the gospel? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us very plainly what the gospel is. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by the which ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. He said, hey, if you're saved, you're saved by the gospel. If you're not saved, you're not saved because you didn't believe the gospel. It's the gospel that matters, the gospel that saves. What is the gospel? Verse 3. For I delivered unto you that first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So that's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. Listen, if you want to go to heaven, there's only one way to go, and that's through the gospel. That's that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay for our sins. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I can't go to heaven because of my sin. Heaven's a perfect place. If God lets me in there, it would defile the place. There's a lot of of theological reasons we could mention, but I can't go to heaven because of my sin. You can't go to heaven because of your sin. We can't pay off the debt. We can't buy our way out of the debt. There's only one thing we can do, and that is trust the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took our sin upon us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. 
And in that beautiful math that whenever we see Jesus on the cross, he suffered and bled and died for our sins. That when I put my faith in Jesus and I accept him as the sacrifice for my sin, God allows that payment to be recorded for my sin. My sin is placed upon him. His righteousness transfers to me. And now when God looks at me and you, he doesn't see Paul the sinner. He sees Paul my son. It's the only way you can get saved. The death. And Jesus was so dead, he was buried. Some people say, well, he just swooned. He wasn't really dead. I had someone tell me that one time, and I said, they said, well, Jesus didn't really die. He just kind of swooned, and then he was, the coolness of the grave kind of woke him up. And, and he, I said, okay, let's do an experiment. I said, let's look at the Bible, and everything they did to Jesus, I'm going to do to you. His eyes got real big. And I said, let's see if you swoon. And I walked through. They did this, and they did this, and they did this, and they did this. And at the very end, they took a spear and poked it through his ribs and into his heart, and blood and water came out. I said, let me do that. I said, if I did that to you, would you swoon? He said, I'd be dead. Exactly. Jesus died for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried. He was dead. He was lifeless. Oh, but the grave couldn't hold him because he was life itself. And up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. God resurrected of the power. I love what Romans chapter one, verse four says that that God declared with power that this was the son of God. Then we see that after the resurrection, this thing wasn't done in a corner. This wasn't some private resurrection. People say, well, the, the disciples stole his body. Jesus hung around for 40 days. He showed up at parties. I mean, he'd be walking down the street. Is that Jesus over there? That's him. Look at him. He's glowing. Oh, he just walked through a wall. He just, he just walked through. That's Jesus. And look, look at verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present day, but some are falling asleep. He said, many of the people that saw him after the resurrection are still alive today. They can tell you firsthand account. Look at verse 7. After that, he was seen of James and then all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And so this is where the apostle Paul, after he was saved and he met the uh, uh, disciples and such, there's a, a, a period of time we learn about in Galatians where he was away by himself, where the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching him the scriptures. That's pretty cool. The apostle Paul saw him. It saw Jesus in his glorified body on the Damascus Road, Acts chapter 9. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And Paul said, I saw Jesus. He knocked me off my horse. I know he's alive, he said. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, and that not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And so he goes on. Look at verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain? And your faith is also in vain. 
Verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. What's, what's God saying? If there's no resurrection, there's no salvation. See, the gospel, the good news, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Boy, I hope you've believed that. I hope you put your faith in Jesus. And uh, if you haven't, today's the day, now's the time, today's the day of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus today. Let Him take away your sin. Why in the world would anybody choose to go to hell when salvation is so free and so available? But we see the gospel blueprint here at Calvary. This is the way we are saved. But it doesn't stop there. See, sometimes we make the mistake that we know how we were saved, but we kind of leave that at Calvary. We kind of leave that at the cross. But what you find is the lessons we learn at the cross, the lessons we learn at salvation, they are the same lessons that we are to live by, and they keep replaying over and over in our lives as we live for Christ. Uh, the, The New Testament says, As ye have believed, so walk ye in him. So the very things that you started to do at the moment of your salvation, those are the same principles you keep living by as you are walking in Him. It's not that, oh, I got saved and the death, burial, and resurrection is done and now we move on to other things. No, that that concept, that principle is still at work in our lives today. And if you don't understand that, you're going to get discouraged and you're going to get offended at God Himself. What's God doing in my life? I can't believe God would do that to me. He's doing the same thing that got you saved in the first place. So trust Him. Trust Him when it doesn't make sense. Trust Him when it's not working out. Trust Him when you think He's failed you and forgotten you because a resurrection's coming and a life that you can't imagine. Let's look at this in the the Old Testament. uh, Genesis chapter 12. We see this concept at play in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Genesis chapter 12. We see God chooses a man named Abram and he makes a covenant with him. A covenant is a promise unto death. That if you if you don't fulfill this promise, that that the person you promise can take your life for reneging on that promise. It's the the strongest form of commitment in the Bible. Covenant. By the way, marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not just a commitment. It's till death do us part. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. So Abram departing is his faith. He says, I believe God. And Abraham lived a life of just believing God. Uh, And by the way, that's how we should live, amen? Just by faith, believing God. God says this, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to believe what God said. But you understand, it's easy for us to look back and we see the nation of Israel. We see 2,000 or 6,000 years of history, uh, 5,000 years of history. I mean, we see all this and it's like, wow, boy, that was true. Abram didn't have any children. None of this was a reality for him. And God said, I'm going to make you of a great nation. He didn't have one child. You're going to bless everybody who ever lives. Wow. He didn't have a social media account. He didn't have a website. 
There wasn't TV. There wasn't satellite. I mean, here's a guy in the desert. And he believed God. By the way, did God keep his word? Yeah. But not the way Abraham thought he would. We won't take time to look at the whole story. But you know, they didn't have a child for years. I'm sure there was doubt. Boy, Lord, I thought you were going to make me a great nation. I don't even have one child. At one point, he says, he's getting up in years. I mean, he's rich. He's blessed beyond measure. And he said, the only... He said, I don't even have children. I've got this steward over here that if I die, everything that you've given me is going to go to this steward. And he's a guy from Damascus. And so Abraham said, well, God's not coming through, so I better help him out. You ever get there? And Sarah says, oh, I got an idea. I've got a handmaid here. And it's our custom that if, if my handmaid bears a child through you, then it's just like if I had a child. And so let's do this. And so she goes in unto Abraham. She has a child, becomes one of his wives. And God said, that wasn't the plan, Abram. That wasn't the plan. And every struggle we see now between the Jews and the Arabs goes back to that decision between Ishmael and Isaac. Abraham still didn't have children until Ishmael is at least 13 years old. So 13 years after that mistake, God says, okay, it's time. You're going to have a baby now. And if you remember the story, Abraham's old. Sarah hears God say it, and she laughs in disbelief. Like, (laughs) right, sure. She thought she was private, but the Lord heard. Sarah, you laughed. Oh, I didn't laugh. By the way, let's just be honest with God, amen? God says, you did this. I didn't do it. You did this. I didn't do it. I mean, it's like he's God, okay? You don't need to argue with him. He knows what you did. And so he's, and God said, nay, but thou didst laugh. And all she could do is be like, you yeah. know. And when it came time, and the Bible uses this phrase, the deadness of her womb. Her womb was dead She could no longer give birth, but God resurrected her womb to where she could bear a child and gave her physical strength in her 90s to not only bear a child, but to feed it, to wean it, to change diapers. Listen, I'm in my 40s and I'm done, right? How many of you 80-year-olds be like, I would like to have a child, (laughs) you know? And I mean, the the sleepless nights and the, the all of the stuff, I mean... God not, only, God not only resurrected her womb, but he gave her supernatural physical strength to complete the job. Watch this. God gave him a dream. We're going to have a baby. We're going to be great. One year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. The dream's gone. The dream's dead. We're past age, Abraham. I can't have babies anymore. They thought it was over. And then Jesus came and God came and said, now you're going to have a baby. It's the, the life, the, the promise, the death, the burial. They buried that dream. They gave up hope of having children until God resurrected it and gave them what he promised them all along. Do you see it? The death, burial, and resurrection. Not only that, after Isaac was finally born, 
Isaac gets to be a young man. God comes to Abraham and asks him to do the unthinkable. Look at Genesis chapter 22. So God comes to Abraham, this child of promise. This is we, we waited decades for this young man. He's the one that's going to fulfill all of these promises. I'm sure their faith was rekindled in God after that, amen? Boy, God can do whatever He wants. You ever get to the place where you begin to doubt God, and you're like, man, maybe God doesn't love me, and maybe God's not working in my life, and then God does something, and it's like, boom! I mean, there's new life in your Christianity. Your, your faith is restored. This is awesome! And then God, something else happens, and now your faith takes another hit, and you begin to doubt again, and you see this process. This is what Abraham's going through. He had his son. Genesis 22, 9. We see already God had come and said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son to me, a burnt offering. Which, by the way, you study what a burnt offering is. That is a gruesome event. I want you to offer your son, not just as an offering, as a burnt offering. What that entailed is astounding. Look at verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. How prophetic was that? God himself was the lamb. Verse 9. They came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar of wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took his knife to slay his son. You say, he wasn't really going to do it, was he? Oh, yeah. He was going to do it. You say, how could God ask Abraham to kill his son? Well, it was a different time and place, but listen to me. God's going to come to you, and he's going to ask you to give up things that are, are so meaningful to you. He will demand sacrifices in your life. That you say, but this is a good thing, or there's nothing really wrong with it, or why should I have to do that, or why can't I do this? God will come to your life and challenge you. And it's a test. We find out later that all this was simply a test for Abraham. And Abraham was continually blessed because he kept surrendering to God. So we see Abraham took the knife and he lifted up his knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said he's trying to get his attention. God knew in that moment Abraham raised the knife and I'm sure it was quivering. I'm sure it was sh shaking. But then in that moment, that resolve kicked in and he said, I trust God. And he was, yeah. And whoa, Abraham, stop, stop. You can see Abraham's. Imagine what it would have to do, what process would have to take place for you to get to the place where you'd raise a knife and God pulls him back. Verse 12, and he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Wait a minute. Abraham loved this son so much, I personally believe that Isaac had become an idol. That Isaac had become more important than God. And let me just warn you, friend, anytime something comes between you and God, God has no problem removing it. It could be your job, it could be a possession, it could be a position, it could be fame, it could be pride, 
God will not share His glory with another. But at that moment, He put God back first again. It's pretty powerful stuff. I see God, people say, well, God's mean because he, God never wanted Isaac to die, but He had to do something shocking in Abraham's life to get his attention. Does that sound familiar? God ever had to do anything shocking or allow something shocking? You say, how could God do that? Let me ask you a better question. How could God allow His only begotten Son to die on the cross to pay for my sin? Nothing is more shocking than that. And if God's willing to allow His Son to die on the cross for our sin, for the greater good, do you think God's going to allow us to suffer at times for the greater good? He will. You say, well, why would God do that? God's mean. No, this was a blessing in disguise because after the death and the burial, there's always a resurrection. And the resurrection is new life, new power, new blessings, new heights, new levels. So if you were to look at the Christian life on a graph, what you're going to see, the Christian life isn't like this, a straight line. The Christian life is you go up a little bit and then down a little bit. And then you go up some more and down a little bit, but you never go down as far as you were. If you go up like this and start going back down like that, we call that backsliding, right? But you go up, and then you get to the mountaintop, and then there is a little something there. And then you go up a little further, and then, oh, you get another hitch, and you go up a little bit further, and oh, I, I thought that was going to work out different, but I'm going to keep trusting God. And oh, that hurts, but I'm going to keep trusting God. And it's that growth, that, that life, death, burial, resurrection, life, death, burial, resurrection. That is the entire blueprint of our lives. Now, let me warn you, don't fight the process. You say, well, that's not how my life's going to work. My friend, you have no power in a situation. That's like the clay yelling up at the potter. Hey, don't shake me like that. Don't touch me. I'm my own clay. I'll be what I want to be. And what does the Master Potter do when the clay gets hard and stiff. He smashes it again and makes it pliable so then it can become. But God doesn't want you to be a little pottery coaster. He wants you to be a beautiful tea set. And see, if, if, if God is willing to mold us and shape us and do whatever it takes to make us what he created us to be and help us to be better than we ever thought we could. We see the same thing in Joseph. We won't look at the scriptures, but Genesis 37, 3 through 11, we see that God gave Joseph a dream. He told his brothers the dream, and they said, that'll never happen. He told his father the dream, and his father and said, you think your mother and I are going to bow down to you? Joseph had a dream. I mean, it was a powerful dream, but wait a minute. The next stop's the pit. He's, his brothers were going to kill him, and they do him a favor. Instead of killing him, they throw him in a pit, and then they sell him off as a slave. So now he's a slave. Well, then, uh, boy, so, so he has a dream, and that dream begins to grow. And then, wait a minute, boy, that there's a death. He gets in the pit, and now he's, he's, a, he's a slave. I mean, he's buried. That dream's gone. He's, he's, he's a, a, a slave now. How in the world is this going to happen? But wait a minute, he becomes the best slave. 
And now he becomes the, the, the best, most trusted person in Potiphar's house. Well, maybe, maybe, this dream is, maybe this dream is going to, oh, but wait, now Potiphar's wife, and she had falsely accused him. Now he's back in prison. And now, boy, what was I thinking? I know how this works. I, that, that dream's not going to come true. And he had to bury that dream. But wait a minute. He's there in that prison for two years, by the way. Not two days, not two weeks, not two months, two full years. He's in the prison. That dream was dead. That dream, his, he, he said, but at least I can stay close to God. Which, by the way, when you think your dreams are dead, that's what you've got to do is just stay close to God. Well, then he gets a call from Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, he's exactly where God wanted him to be. See, God's going to get you where he wants you. He just might have to take you the roundabout way. You just got to trust him. We're not ready for where he wants us to be at the moment he gives us a dream or at the moment he sends us a direction. We're not ready. There has to be a process. There has to be a journey that forms in us and does in us what we need and who we're supposed to be. So we see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We saw it in the parable of the corn of wheat. Except a corn of wheat die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And I think this speaks of potential. If you take an apple and you chop that apple in half and you look in there and you see the seeds and you look at that seed, you're like, wow, here's a seed. But wait a minute, how many trees are in that seed? That one seed has unlimited potential if it's planted and it dies and then other trees And imagine every seed that ever comes from one apple seed in the course of that tree's life. And then every seed, if they were planted in the course of those trees' lives, you see how the the, the infinite potential of that one seed. When God looks at your life, he says, boy, I see in you things you can't see yourself. He said, I see power and potential and blessing that you can't imagine, but you've got to die first. We don't like the process of death. Jesus said in the very next verse, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. You fight against God. Well, that'll never happen to me. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to do it. I'll never, I'll keep hold of it. You end up losing it. It's like sand slipping through your fingers where the harder, the tighter you try to hold on to it, the more it slips away. Or you hold the things of this life loosely and you let go and you give them back to God. And God says, since you gave that back to me, I'll give you more than you could possibly imagine. It's the process, death, burial, resurrection. We see it in the birth of Christ, the king of the Jews. He was born. Praise the Lord, he's finally here. But wait, he was born in a manger. He's on earth, the Christ, the king of the Jews, the Messiah we've waited for for thousands of years. He's walking the earth. But wait, he's a lowly carpenter. He's doing miracles. He's ascending. He's the most famous person on the planet. But wait, now he's hanging on a cross. He's gone. He's dead. But wait, now he's back alive. And we just saw him, and they just had him down at the evening service at Curtis Corner Baptist Church. Jesus showed up, and he was walking down Main Street. I'm driving along, and there's Jesus walking down the street. I mean, he was alive again. I think about Luke 23, 3. Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said unto him, Thou sayest. And then verse 37 and 38 He says, in saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. So they finally asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He said, you said it, I am. So what did he get? They hung him on the cross. 
Then while he's hanging on the cross, they, they walk by and wag their heads. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Well, he was the king of the Jews. But if I save myself, you all go to hell for eternity. But they put on the cross, this is the king of the Jews in three languages above his head. Oh, he was the king of the Jews. Well, I thought the king of the Jews was going to come and rule and reign. Oh, he will. But he's got to die and be buried first and resurrected. So many good things in your life have to come that way. Think of John the Baptist. Well, what a powerful man of God. But all of a sudden, you remember the, the John 1, 30, I believe, he must increase and I must decrease. Well, John decreased so much where well, he became pretty much not mentioned in scriptures. Next thing you know, he's in prison. This is the forerunner of the Christ. Now he's in prison. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. How do you go from being the most popular preacher in the country to now you're in prison? And that was John's testimony. He got the privilege to point out the the Christ. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. But now he's in prison. It didn't it wasn't working out the way John had expected. This wasn't how John envisioned his end. I think his doubt. Doubt had crept in. Matter of fact, he sends, if you read the scriptures there in Matthew and and, in another uh, gospel, he sends two of his disciples to Jesus. And the question was, are you the one we're looking for or should we look for another? Now, wait a minute. This is the same John that said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What happened? It wasn't working out the way John planned. This isn't the way he had it pictured. Are you you sure you're the one? Maybe I got it wrong, John said. Boy, doubt's human, isn't it? But look at verse 6. This is Jesus' message. He, He first said, go back and tell John about all the miracles happening. And then he said, tell John this. Verse 6, and blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. I want you to look at me. Jesus was saying, Remind John not to get offended because I'm not doing it the way he thought I would. Do you know it's possible for you to get mad at God because he's not doing it the way you thought he would? Things aren't going the way that you thought they were going to go. I mean, you had faith it was going to be like this, and he he says, no, it's not going to be like that. Matter of fact, that dream's got to die. You've got to give it up. You're going to think it never happens, and then God's going to bring it around later. Whoa, where'd that come from? Oh, it's called a resurrection. And see, John ended up getting his head taken off in prison, but he had to do that understanding that there had to be a death and a burial and then a resurrection. We see Paul. He started off as a rising star in Judaism. He left it all for Christ. When he left it all, the disciples wouldn't even talk to him. When his dream died, he was called to preach, and he he couldn't even go to church because the disciples were afraid of him. You think he never had times of doubt? but yet he became the great missionary and apostle of the Gentiles. You never think he never had times of doubt when he's out preaching and people are getting saved and all of a sudden he's getting jailed or stoned or beaten. But he kept trusting God and God brought him through it all. Think about Peter, successful businessman, left it all for Christ, leader of the disciples, denied Christ, not once, not twice, three times, quit the ministry to go fishing, Oh, but there's Jesus on the shore with the resurrection. 
See, Peter, you thought your dream was done. You thought that the ministry was over for you. But I'm here to tell you, you had to die first. But now I'm going to use you like you never thought possible. I want you to take a moment and think about how this idea applies to your life. Have you ever had a dream that you thought was from God? But then it looks like God takes it from you. Looks like it's not going to happen. You begin to doubt. Maybe was that even from God? Was that what was supposed to happen? Was that? God's got a way of giving you a dream and then letting it die and resurrecting it later in a way that's far greater than you could have imagined. What about your future? Have you ever gotten to the place where maybe circumstances have happened or you've made decisions and now you look at your future and you're like, my life's done. Maybe life's not even worth living. Oh, but if you'll trust God, you'll see him resurrect that hope in your life and you'll have a better life than you ever thought before. What about marriage? Boy, people get married and I don't, I've never met anybody that stood up at the marriage altar all grumpy and I don't want to marry this person, but I'm going to have to. And I, said, I mean, they're all excited and they're all looking forward to getting married. But wait a minute, you're married for a year, two, five, ten. And now all of a sudden it's like, what was I thinking? This person's not who I thought they were. This isn't working out the way. Maybe I married the wrong person. No, watch this. When you got married, that person became the right person. But sometimes you get to, you get to a place where you're like, I thought this was the one, but, but then that's like, well, we ran into some circumstances or things happened. Maybe this isn't the one. Don't bail on that. Don't bail on the covenant you made. Because God's got a way of resurrecting your marriage. Uh, many times I've had couples in my office with with broken marriages and they've wondered if they can even they can even go on and I've told them I'm not going to try to save your marriage. I said the marriage you have now is sick and it's broken and it's dying. And I say what God will do is sometimes he will you, you've built your marriage on a, on a faulty foundation. So that marriage has to die in your heart so God can resurrect it. And I, w- I would look at them and say, I'm not trying to fix your broken marriage. I'm trying to allow God to give you a brand new marriage. Same person, but a brand new marriage in your heart. I don't know how many times people have thought that their, their relationship's over and then all of a sudden God does a miracle in their heart. Now, People are in love and they're, they're happy to be together and they're living life. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. Think about children. Think about career. Think about life itself. And I finish with this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, God promised you heaven. Matter of fact, when you got saved, you, you received eternal life at that moment. If you're here and you're born again, uh, you're living forever right now. It's not that you're going to live forever someday. It's that you are currently living forever. There is a part of you that will never die. That's good news. But wait, this body has to die. This husk, just like that seed, that corn of wheat has to fall and that, that outside, that, that, that waterproof, impenetrable, uh, strong outside has to begin to dissolve so that the inside can come to fruition and you have eternal life in you you are currently living forever but this old husk of a body has to die and begin to decompose so that we can be lifted up to glory and our spirit can be uh, taken to heaven where we can live for God for with forever and I love first Corinthians 15 verse 54 take a look at it 
Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, and we'll read down uh, through verse 57. Uh, Ready? So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Hey, you got to die, but death has lost its teeth. Because God said, I saved you with a, 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 a promise, and then a death and a burial, and a resurrection, and to take you to heaven, I'm going to do the same thing. You have the promise of eternal life, but that old body has to die, and your old body has to get buried, and I'm going to take your spirit up to heaven, and one of these days, at the last days, I'm going to resurrect that glorified body and that eternal spirit and give you a permanent glorified body in heaven. We started with the death, burial, and resurrection. We'll finish with the death, burial, and resurrection, and we'll have it in between. What does this mean? Death, burial, and resurrection is not only the mode of our salvation, but also a formula for life. Knowing this gospel process is at work in your life encourages you to be faithful. Matter of fact, we stopped before the end of the chapter. Look at verse 58. Knowing everything he just said, look at verse 58. Therefore... What's there for? All the things he just said. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. You're going to have mountaintops and valleys. You're going to have life, death, burial. All you got to do is wait for the resurrection. But never. Look at me, Christian friend. Never. Never, 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 never give up on God. Never. When you're on the pinnacle or when you're in the pit. When you're on the top or when you're in the bottom. If it feels like you're, you're that close to heaven or it feels like you're, you're in the grave, never give up on God. Why? Because there's a resurrection coming. And life's about to get good. You say, preacher, I'm in a mess today. My life's a mess. You're in a pretty good place. Because there's a resurrection coming if you keep trusting. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the truth. Pray that you'd help us understand this and, and to really get it down in our hearts and to live by it. It's hard to remember this whenever it feels like you're dying. It's hard to remember when it feels like the dreams and the things we've worked for are just slipping through our fingers, the relationships that matter, the the future that we had planned. Oh, but God, help us to remember that We give our life to you and you save it. But if we hold on to it against your will and we we fight against you, we'll lose it. And please, Father, help us. If there's one here today that's not sure they're saved, please save them. If, If those that are struggling, encourage their hearts. Those that have been there, they look back across their life and they say, boy, I can see that. Encourage our faith. Help us to to stay faithful until we see you by your grace. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open. If God spoke to your heart.
We'd love to take a Bible, show you how you can know for sure. Can you see this process in your life? Ask God to help you. Say, God, I haven't seen it, but maybe next time this is happening, remind me. Holy Spirit, remind me when this happens so I can see it and not not lose my faith. Maybe you really thought someone was going to get saved, a loved one was going to get saved, and all of a sudden they got hard again. Don't give up. Maybe you thought someone was going to start following the Lord, and, and uh, or maybe your marriage was starting to get better, and then it took uh, two steps back. Don't give up. Or you thought things were on the upswing, and now it's worse than it's ever been. Don't give up. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Nothing done for God is empty. It always matters. Maybe nobody recognizes it. Maybe nobody knows it. But a cup of water given in Jesus' name has eternal benefits. A quiet visit to someone who's struggling has eternal benefits. He said, boy, preacher, everything is great. And we're on top side. It's the best it's ever been. Well, if that changes, remember this message. 